Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy poured beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday eve (laughs) heck yeah we're moving right along through the month of june are we not Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Today on the program, we've got Mike Hurst, former U.S. attorney. we got so much to talk about with uh, the counselor. We'll probably talk a bit about the Hunter Biden tax deal. I guess if your name is Biden, you get a little special treatment when you don't pay your taxes. No. Say they so. What's astonishing to me is, okay, they say the guy was a million and a half in taxes, right? Isn't that right? The figure the IRS says is that. In that My year? only question is, does is that like a million in fines, fees, and late, or is that what he actually owes? Well, that's a good point because the IRS is notorious for, oh, you owe us thirty five dollars, right? Now you owe us three hundred and fifty thousand dollars because of all the late fees, right? You're right about that. And they they rack up. They accumulate interest and penalties is what they are. So penalties, pardon me. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a million and a half. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, Here's what the U.S. attorney said now. I'm quoting, received taxable income in excess of $1.5 million annually in calendar years 27 and 2018. Okay, so he owes a hundred thousand on that a federal income tax. My my apologies, million and a half of income, hundred grand of taxes. But here's the question for you, U.S. Attorney and IRS: Did you not bother to ask? Hey, where'd you get that money from? <laughs> this is a deal. You're taught this in Audit 101 as an accountant. Hmm. When you see something that looks a little suspicious, you keep on digging. You just don't take that at face value and close the books. But they're not doing that here. Might that be because the name is Biden? And in fairness, there have been there's been a lot of conversation about other people getting years in prison for similar crimes. Yes. But if you dig a little deeper, it seems the vast majority of those people that have been sentenced to time in prison for, quote-unquote, similar crimes also had 
either extra crimes on top of it or a previous rap sheet or yeah. other things that were considered in the sentencing? Yeah, well, uh, that's ultimately how they took down Al Capone. Not for all the hits and the murders that he ordered, because they couldn't tie those to it. But ultimately, he got taken down on tax evasion. That's what put him away. Like I can't remember the guy's name, but there's one guy. He he's got he got three years in prison for basically the same exact charges, except he had previously been charged for assault, battery, and rape. Yep, exactly. There's no digging here. There's no. You're supposed to be curious, just like journalists are supposed to be curious. So are auditors. You're supposed to be curious. That's what they teach you. You see something out of whack, you never assume, oh, that's the extent of it. That's it. Never. Never. Especially when you're auditing an entity, not an individual, talking about not an IRS tax audit, but an audit of a standard financial audit. You're supposed to be curious. You see something that looks shaky, especially from an internal control perspective, and there are lots of tests and standards they apply there. You see something that looks fishy, that violates good practice, you keep digging. You don't stop because you know what? You usually find there's a big old bomb underneath the surface there just waiting to explode, or maybe has already, but you got to dig it out. This is disgusting, in my view. It's it's more evidence of the politicization of an agency, of the deep state, and the double standards and the two-tier justice system that exists in this country. I think that's what aggravates people. I'm not so upset about the Trump documents deal. I'm upset about the double standard. I don't care if it's Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Hunter, Joe Biden – Apply the law consistently. Otherwise, there's no law. You don't have any law. It's a if there's a silver lining on Biden, on Hunter Biden getting a slap on the wrist, it's that it pretty much nullifies any Democrat narrative about gun control. Yeah, it's exactly. You can't plead down a felony federal gun charge for the son of the president. And then in the same breath, talk about taking guns away from law-abiding citizens. That's absolutely true. But this is symbolic, don't you think? This this total deal is symbolic. Look, we're taking some action here, and this is really, I think, just to kind of set themselves up uh, for pursuit of Trump. Look, we got the IRS going after Hunter Biden. There's no double standard. Forget about the fact that any other average person... Something like this happens? I can't imagine if something like this happened to me. This would be incredible. be all over you, especially once they start digging into your political philosophy. It, that's scary. That should shake every one of us to the core. And that's what's going on. And the Democrats refuse to accept it. Speaking of which, the House yesterday censured Adam Schiff. And the Democrats threw oh, a hissy fit. I sent you something. I didn't know if you got it or not. You First of all, you got Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert exchanging pleasantries. <laughs> you see this guy's on the House floor, and Marjorie Taylor Greene invoked a bit of profanity. I guess you could call it that. Certainly you'd have to say it's a slur. 
I don't even know if we can say that on the air, Rhino. Is that a permissible word or not? I don't know. Probably not. I don't. I, well, we won't. We won't test it. But she, uh, <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene, is upset because Lauren Boebert's stealing her thunder on impeaching the president. <laughs> They're fighting over who gets credit for drawing up the impeach. This is a true story, guys. Their fight is this true? Is that what you're understanding? Yeah. That's what they're fighting over. It's almost like from the get-go with these people I've been saying they're all doing it for personal gain. Oh, imagine Look at that. me. Pay attention to me. Let me make sure I get my zinger in so I can put it on my flyer. <laughs> so, folks, if you haven't heard, this was uh, this was on the floor. It wasn't during formal proceedings, but it was just informal conversation, if you will, on the floor. And it was caught on mic. And uh, C-SPAN, it was actually aired on C-SPAN live. They, it was caught. Because C-SPAN, you know, they don't break just because the formalities have ended. I mean, they, they keep the camera and the mic on the floor as they take a break, and then the members move around and about and have conversations there. Well, they catch this conversation, and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene basically calls Lauren Boebert a little bee. <laughs> and then did you see the reporter's surrounded her when she was exiting the Capitol, uh, uh, moving down the steps of the Capitol, and they asked her if she said that. And she said she'll neither confirm nor deny it. (laughs) And Lauren Boebert said, I don't play middle school games. (laughs) Really? These are your U.S. Congress people. Don't you feel better at night knowing they're in charge? Now, remember we had a listener a couple of years ago when I simply called out, called the, called out, Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene for their outburst during the State of the Union address by Joe Biden. Now, I, like them, didn't like what I was hearing out of Joe Biden. But we have to respect the decorum in the chamber when the president is speaking. And that goes for Nancy Pelosi when she so stupidly stood up and tore up Donald Trump's speech, making a big deal out of that. That's wrong, too. We've got to respect the decorum of the center of our government, of our country, of the, of the, of the power. And these two individuals, I didn't feel like did. And I called them out. And somebody on our text line said, I'm never listening to you again. Remember that? We need more people like that. Well, I agree we need strong-minded, strong-willed people that will stand up for what is right. I totally agree with that. But I think there's a proper approach, a proper tactic to achieve that, and then there's improper. And having this argument on the House floor about who gets credit for drawing up impeachment papers, and and then... Using slurs and ad hominem insults against the other party on the floor there is inappropriate. Sorry. That's the way I feel about that. Not apologizing. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
James Brown. You can't help but think about the great skits by Eddie Murphy, huh? <laughs> In the hot tub. <laughs> okay, 601-879-4395. That would be the C Spire text line if you'd like to join in on the conversation. We got some some text already already rolling in. Well, there you go. You got to be a racist this morning. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you. It, I'm sure somebody thinks that, it, that my analysis is uh, Gerard. I'd be willing to bet you'll get a text from Thomas in the first segment of the show calling Michael Guest a rhino for his present vote on the Adam Schiff censure. We'll see. I, I have received some some uh, some texts from. Some folks that uh, hit me up on social media and direct and private messaging about it. And I did receive last night, and I'll read it in a bit, a statement, official statement from the congressman on his present vote. Uh, but we got to finish talking about this. <laughs> yeah, because you were saying you, you you appreciate decorum and you yeah. would, you would like it if the opposing party could at least attempt to act like they understand decorum and just civility admonishing the the members of the right that seem to forget that are the party of decorum but i argue as long as it's within the rules set by the governing body insults and barbs and sharp words should be allowed like the house of commons over in england and to give an example, in case nobody gives a political wonk like we are, <laughs> here's a short segment from uh, former House Speaker John Burkow in the House of Commons over in England. Order! 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 <laughs> the government chief whip has absolutely no business whatsoever shouting from a sedentary position. He order. The honourable gentleman will remain in the chamber. When? Sorry. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Order. <laughs> so good. So, I mean, it it would make the political process more digestible for the average person if they could. At least empathize with the emotions being shown. But the problem is, you, you wind up with the House Democrats yesterday just <laughs> doing, a, they're doing a Game of Thrones impression, I guess. <laughs> it's just a sad little chant. If you want to hear it, here we go. Here's here's the, uh, the reading of the censure of Representative Adam Schiff from California. On this vote, the A's are 213 and the nays are 209, with six answering present. The resolution adopted. Without objection, the motion to consider is relayed on the table. House will be in order. Change, 
I personally would be totally fine with McCarthy screaming, Order! Order! Because it's within the rules. He's the one that's supposed to be talking. <laughs> and, and all he said was, the House will come to order. Bang the gavel, yeah. McCarthy. Bang the gavel. <laughs> I can't. I can't anymore. Because they went from shame to one guy. You're a disgrace. 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 And one of us. One of us. One of us. And the other thing is. Big Max. How, Big how, Max. How they all surrounded him. And he was just smiling ear to ear because they were with him. That Representative Lario, you can't help but see her. Because she got that green, purple, yellow, blue hair. And Nancy Pelosi was right by his side. I mean, they're just falling all over him, worshiping him. because For being called out for being a bald-faced liar. Yeah, because he deceived the American people. So what he did. He deceived it in an effort to influence the election. He has deep contempt for Donald Trump. It's a personal thing with him. And it's crazy how it's all these people from California. Is that like ground zero for the contempt of Donald Trump? Sure seems. It's ground zero for bleeding heart liberal nonsense. And it's such a shame. antithetical to Trumpism. I agree. But you have to recognize the contributions to the country and the world that have emanated from California. And that's what bothers me, because the nutty liberals are destroying that. They're destroying it. Thank God many of them are getting the hell out of there people that are producing for society i'm talking about they're moving to texas they're moving to florida i'd like to see some of those producing people set up shop in mississippi why not why not we need that you've seen uh we've played it before mayor suarez of miami he's building a little silicon valley silicon valley if you will right in the heart of miami because it's safe you can walk the streets at night the schools are good it's a high quality of life. The taxes are nothing. My gosh, the, I saw an analysis the other day of what, uh, uh, say, a, 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 I'm going to call them a typical because it is fairly typical. you got a worker in the Silicon Valley, makes seven figures. That's not unusual in Silicon Valley. You, you're shaking your head. You know that. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, in California, the, the tax burden on such a person is insane, the amount of taxes. You take the federal, the state, the city, etc. You go to you go to um, the analysis I saw, you go to Florida, you save like 300 grand a year. 300,000, that's real money in my book. So why wouldn't you? Suarez knows that. And in spite of all those taxes, California is still producing a massive surplus. Oh, pardon me, partly deficit, deficit. They went from a surplus to a deficit. They saw all that money and had to go spend it, but then they overspent it and relied too much on revenue. And the revenue didn't come in. And and uh, now they're having to deal with that. So We used housing prices as a good metric yesterday. The median home price in Silicon Valley is north of $1.2 million. Yeah, you said that. The median home price in Miami, $560,000. And so that's $560,000 with a property tax bill of about two-thirds of what it is in California. Not to mention the income tax 
on a person who can afford a house at that level. You think about the income they got, the income taxes they will pay. It's insanity. It's ins- it's insane, really, when you think about uh, just the, the stark contrast in the environment. So I did want to, if I can pull it up here, read uh, for you the, uh, the statement from the congressman. So the censure, uh, McCarthy just read it, what was it, Rhino, 219, 2-something like 213 that? 213 to 209, okay, with six presents and uh, 12 total, no, six total not voting. Right. So of the presence, if I'm not mistaken, five of those were Republicans from the Ethics Committee. Is that what you see? Yes. Okay. I got six that total right. Republicans voted present. Five of the six were from the Ethics Committee. So Congressman Michael Guest, of course, is the chair of the House Ethics Committee. And so last night he was uh, good enough to send me a statement because he, he knew this would be a question. Uh among his constituents, and I appreciate him sending this to me last night, and I wanted to read it for you. Today, the House of Representatives held two votes on House Resolution 521. This resolution censured Representative Adam Schiff and also instructed the House Committee on Ethics to conduct an investigation into the past actions of Schiff. On the first vote, I voted in favor of allowing the resolution to move forward for debate and ultimately to allow the House to consider the resolution. Because this resolution both imposes a sanction while directing the Ethics Committee to investigate. Think about that for a second. It's a sanction, and then it also paves the way for the committee to investigate further the actions of Schiff. goes on to say, uh, I, along with all Republican members on the Ethics Committee, voted present. As the chairman of the committee to which the matter would be referred, I voted present to avoid any appearance that I may have prolonged the matter, uh, pardon me, pardon me, prejudge the matter, prejudge the matter, or otherwise could not conduct the investigation called for in the resolution. So he just didn't want to project that, hey, by voting a certain way, that that basically says, hey, before we even conduct an investigation, I've already made my mind up. Well, that makes sense to me. Now, honestly... If the votes had been needed to pass the censure, I'm not sure. Maybe it would have been different. But I, I, I got to say, I respect the congressman here for I think uh, his appropriate action, which is not to prejudge here. Now, in my view, the evidence is pretty clear, and I would be shocked if after the congressman's committee conducts its investigation, that we don't find that Adam Schiff is just a lying crook at the end of the day. I think it's pretty clear. That's why I got censured. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well Studios. Don't forget Mike Hurst at 1105. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget Mike Hurst, former U.S. attorney in the studio at 1105. Scott Bounds, uh, 
He, of course, represents District 44. That includes Neshoba County is on, pardon me, at 12.05. He's going to give us uh, the outlook for the upcoming Neshoba County Fair. So that should be a fun discussion. That is just around the corner. Hard to believe. Hard to believe that it's almost here. And then we go to the polls, right? Uh, August 7th, I believe, is the date. The general, one of them's the 7th, one of them's the 8th. August 7th, is that right? Ain't long. 8th. 8th, okay. So then November 7th would be the general. Thank you. With any required runoffs occurring on August 29th. Okay. Not much time. A couple of weeks, that's typically how it works, if a runoff is required. So just wanted to, once again, pass along that Congressman Guest did vote present on the Schiff censure, explained his vote. And I'll read that final statement again. I think it's important. As chairman of the committee to which the matter would be referred, I voted present to avoid any appearance that I may have prejudged the matter or otherwise could not conduct the investigation called for in the resolution. So we appreciate him communicating and explaining his uh, vote on that. Wow, lots of stuff going on, though, no doubt about it, uh, across the state, in the nation. We got uh, crazy people out there, man. Adam Schiff, his response after the censure, having so many colleagues join me in solidarity today meant the world to me, including Speaker Pelosi, Leader Jeffries, and Reps Aguilar, Goldman, Raskin, Lee, and Swalwell. Oh, what what a fine group that is there, isn't it? I was proud to fight for our democracy against Trump, and I am proud to have these colleagues by my side. I bet you are there, Representative Schiff. What a bunch that is. <laughs> also, former Texas Rep Will Hurd says he's running for president. You see that? Oh, yeah. He has joined the field, 12 in the Republican field, getting a little crowded. He was an undercover CIA officer before he entered politics. That is interesting. Uh, There was something else I was going to pass on, if I can find it here, with respect to Marjorie Taylor Greene. It appears that and this isn't the first time that they've had some issues there, that being Representative Green and Bobert. You probably saw that. It, uh, reports say that she's gotten to dust-ups in the past, uh, the two have. Wasn't there an alleged screaming match in a women's room somewhere? Yeah, that's what I'm reading now. They say that they had... Um, a screaming match is how it was described in a women's restroom near the House floor. That was in January of this year. In April of last year, the two reportedly had to be separated after almost coming to blows over Green's appearance at a white nationalist event earlier in the year. I do remember that. The Democrats went nuts over that. And so this uh, this little altercation yesterday reportedly stems from 
the fact that the two have competing resolutions to impeach President Joe Biden. And so Boebert, she did get hers, by the way, passed. The, the it's sport, my turn on the slide. Passed. No, it's my turn on the slide. <laughs> she got her her um, resolution through a procedural vote, which essentially means you're going to have a vote on the floor pretty soon. And that incensed Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> So she seized the moment there and confronted <laughs> Lauren Boebert, knowing the cameras were capturing the conversation. She said, I've donated to you. I've defended you. But you've been nothing but a little bee to me. <laughs> and you copied my articles of impeachment after I asked you to co-sponsor the <laughs> I impeached him. No, I impeached him. <laughs> oh, gosh. Meanwhile, the empty-headed Democrats are just over in a corner chanting whatever the latest person said. That's exactly right. This is so Lunch, rich. lunch, <laughs> lunch, break, break, break. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's so good. So, you know... They've been headed to this direction. I, I think they're vying, right, for for the prize, for the recognition. Yeah, the mental image I have is there's a, one of those kind of old-school, old-timey-style stages where the, the stage curves out towards the audience, and you have the little, little lights on the front there, and there's one big spotlight pointed center stage. And they're both shouldering each other out of the spotlight. <laughs> it's my turn in the spotlight. <laughs> oh, gosh. They, they're vying for the mantle of most radical, I guess you could say. That's being nice, I think. Certain, maybe the most flamboyant, right? Most outspoken. You could You could ascribe lots of different... I guess, adjectives to it. Um, It's incredible, though, watching all this stuff unfold. And this is the U.S. Congress. That's what's sad about it. I mean, it's sad that we got Adam Schiff just telling these lies. I think he knew he was lying and got hoodwinked, right, with uh, an alleged Russian spy. Oh, yeah, I've got all this information about Trump and Putin. Oh, give it to me. I've got the evidence. So he's despicable. There's no doubt. The fact that we even have to censure a member of Congress, thats I think that's just terrible. And in the meantime, we're all struggling to. Well, that was the irony of the Democrats chanting shame, is they're the party that has lost all access to shame. It it's uh, it is upside down. I t- totally agree. They don't consider what Schiff did, the way he behaved, shameful whatsoever. No, the shame is on those who who censured him, who called him out, who discovered with evidence that he's a crook. Honestly, is what he is. Yeah, it's just sad that this is what's happening in the U.S. House of Representatives. Like I said, in the meantime, folks still say. Yeah, the cost of living is still killing me, wrecking my household. 
You've done nothing to address that, essentially. And you don't seem to want to coalesce around anything. So Schiff's got an ethics investigation looming, and Congressman Michael Guest, I, I don't know that he realized when the Speaker asked him to serve as chair of the House Ethics Committee, usually you kind of hope you're the Maytag repairman. You don't have a lot to do. But this is pretty big, and this will be in focus, and this will get a lot of attention from the media. I have confidence that the congressman will uh, handle it uh, in a transparent and accountable and competent fashion. And I think his his history, his experience as, uh, as a lawyer, as a DA, will work in his favor. will certainly prepare him well, equip him well to handle this task. It's going to be interesting. Oh, gosh. Um, also... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what did Tucker used to call her, Sandy from Westchester. Westchester, by the way, one of the most affluent counties in the country. She tweeted the uh, the video, she linked the video of the speaker announcing the vote. Because he's a deeply unserious leader who diminishes the House by indulging in stunts like this. That's what she said. Oh, my gosh. But, of course, wearing a dress to an affair in New York with the big words, tax the rich, across the back in red, the back of the dress, of course, that's not a stunt or anything, is it? (laughs) No, there's no stunt involved in that. And that grin on her face as she turns her head to the rear, knowing the cameras are capturing her dress. She wasn't looking for any attention there, was she? That wasn't a stunt. That was serious. (laughs) Derek and the Dominoes with Layla, one of the best guitar riffs of all time, arguably, from Eric Clapton. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Mike Hurst at 1105, Representative Scott Bounds, with an outlook on the Neshoba County Fair at 12.05. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays. So, a federal judge struck down Arkansas's first in the nation ban on gender-affirming care for children, defining it as unconstitutional, ruling it that way, the first such ruling to overturn a prohibition There's other states, such as Mississippi, as a prohibition on uh, gender surgery and treatment of minors. 
Elizabeth Warren says, terrific news. Health care, including gender-affirming care, is a basic human right. Uh, so, this ain't over. I think this is going to captivate our government at all levels for a while because this whole gender ideology movement is gripping the country. I mean, it's crazy. Story after story on a daily basis of stuff. If I'm not mistaken, Rhino, there's a... Is it a major bicycle race that I think... Uh, a transgender female, which would be a male, that transition allegedly to be a female, is competing in this big-time bike race. I want to say it's a like a, a global type event, international sort of event. And I, I, the odds would be that that person's going to win, this male. You see anything on that? Is this right? I've seen a few different things about bike races. Are you talking about the Tour de Gila or, Gila or whatever it is? That may be what it is. Out in New Mexico? Maybe so. I'm not honestly not totally sure. But it, um, this, it's, it's bothersome that that might be the case. A, a male competing in a bike race uh, just because they identify as a female. I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot of news on it. I, I, I caught a story on it earlier this morning. I'm not seeing a lot of news on it now. I don't know why. But uh, this is coming up. No doubt about it. And this is crazy, in my view. But that's where we are in this country. So now we got to deal with this law that, that was passed in, in uh, Arkansas that has been struck down. And you just got to wonder, is Mississippi in the crosshairs as well and other states that have passed such legislation into law prohibiting gender care, transition care, if you could call it care, they call it gender affirmation surgery, meaning affirm the way you feel from a gender perspective. Most of the time ends up with bad outcomes destroys innocence, and it, it's kind of worn as a badge of honor, honestly, which is really sad. But that's the crazy stuff that's going on in, in the country. And, and I think the people, I think there's a lot of people who secretly oppose it, but publicly support it. You're seeing this happen uh, even in the medical community. They're getting called out if they don't sign on to this debauchery, honestly. And uh, and they feel like that they, they've got to. They feel compelled to. And there, there's been several physicians in parts of the country that have said, yeah, this has um, a situation where if you don't, you get ostracized. And other Bad stuff is imposed on you if you don't sign on. You don't get on board. That's sad. That's I mean, we've got a listener on the ceasefire text line that doesn't want us to use their name. They say, the DEI department of my company has decided to reprimand me and make me attend sensitivity training for misgendering a corporate manager. My gosh. I mean, I hear 
example. First, I'm sorry that happened, man. I think it's ridiculous. And I'm hearing story after story, anecdotally, from friends at work, particularly in the larger corporations, who are reporting the same. You're on board or else. You buy into their la-la land fantasy or else. Man, saw a report of uh, a 12-year-old interview with uh, that person, 8th grade, maybe 7th grade, 12 years old, I know that's correct, that wore a shirt to school. There are only two genders. Saw that. Got reprimanded for it and called out by the school administration for it. So has retained a lawyer to fight, to argue on their behalf that they're simply exercising their First Amendment rights. And I think courts have ruled in the past that your First Amendment rights don't end at the school door, school building door. That's true. But you know what? I bet if you wore a shirt that said, oh, no, there are multiple genders, you'd be hunky-dory there, right? Good to go. We're stepping aside for Fox News, Super Talk News. Coming right back with former U.S. Attorney Mike. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Hour 2 of Middays from the Element Wealth Studio on this Friday Eve. And joining us now, former U.S. Attorney Mike Hurst. Mike, always good to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Gerard. Great to be here. Well, I know you sent me a note this morning said, hey, what do you want to talk about? And I sent you like a book, and I apologize for that. But every time I'd send you something, oh, yeah, but there's one more thing. So No, there's a lot, lot going on, there for is, sure. There is a lot going on. But you also sent me, we'll go ahead and kick it off with this. Um, uh, an article that uh, you just authored yeah, about an individual that uh, influenced you and um, is right here in our backyard. Yeah. It's an incredible story. Yeah, incredible, man. Dr. John Perkins, um, for you guys who don't know him, please, I, I would recommend go to Magnolia Tribune and check out the article. But just uh, one of the most incredible human beings i've ever met uh, born in poverty down in uh in lawrence county in 1930 he's 93 just celebrated his 93rd birthday last friday he and his wife been married for 72 years Golly. think about that for a second just just that alone but just someone who who came to uh came to know the lord later in life through his son going to bible school and just has been on fire for the lord he he likes to tell folks you know he's the uh, he comes from a family of uh, sharecroppers who were gamblers and bootleggers and uh and just the way that the, the lord has poured into him and the way he's been a, a shining light for people not just here in mississippi but throughout the world literally throughout the world um he's just changed people's lives and i had the opportunity to meet him back in 2015 when i was running for attorney general and uh just went to a bible study at his house at 5 30 a.m in <laughs> west jackson on tuesday morning and i had no idea stepping into that room that morning that uh, my life would change forever and he is uh he's the real deal Gerard, if we had more love, if we had more forgiveness, if we had more just uh, just the, the, the pouring out 
of the grace and mercy that the Lord has has told us, but the way He walks and the way He does it is just it's it's refreshing. I mean, in our our country, our world would be much better if if we did more like Dr. Perkins. Well, and I read in your article you you talked about uh, uh, really some injustices that were done to him, mm. and I'm going to let you describe those. But what struck me is that despite that. Yep. He still has a positive attitude about life, about people, and he, of all people, maybe should be a little more sour, yep. right? Yep. And he's not, but yet we have people that are mad because they don't have a safe space, you right. know, or some crap like that. Right. This is a guy that had to deal with stuff that's unthinkable. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, he back in the Civil Rights era, um, you know, let me back up even further. Um, when he was 16 years old, his brother had just come back from World War II, was a veteran, and... Um, and and I won't go into the details, but in his one of his books, he describes it. He was his brother was going to the movies one day, had an altercation with a, a sheriff's deputy, and the sheriff's deputy shot and killed him. And nothing was ever done. Nothing happened. Uh, Doctor Perkins moved to California. His family was scared for his life. And uh, and when he came back to Mississippi, and he and he organized and tried to fight for for justice and civil rights. Um, that included helping with protests and helping uh, some two glue students who were protesting. Well, on on Highway 49, he's picked up. Or excuse me, the two glue students were picked up on on Highway 49, taken to the Brandon Jail. And Doctor Perkins, another man, went to visit the students at the jail where he was assaulted and, and beaten unconscious. And not only beaten unconscious by corrupt law enforcement at the time, but also forced to mop up and clean up his own blood in the jail because they were the, the corrupt law enforcement were fearing the federal investigators were coming to look into the matter. So, as you said, if anyone could be mad at law enforcement, mad at the world, um, just mad at what has happened to him in his life, it would be him, but he's not. Yeah. And he's just full of love. And, and the, the irony to me is, here here I was, a federal prosecutor. Here I was running for attorney general. Here I was, became the chief federal law enforcement officer for half of our state. And this man who had been abused and his rights had just been destroyed by corrupt law enforcement loved someone like me. Unbelievable. It, it, it really is. And um, I just shout out to him and his family for all they're doing, for especially for Jackson and West Jackson. They they recently put on a, uh, a little baseball uh, camp for some boys over there. I know they're involved with a lot of youth um, uh, educational activities over there. And just hats off to the Perkins and, and the entire family. It's in, it's incredible, and I appreciate you writing the story. And and you know, I think we on the right a lot of times, Mike, we get accused of 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 wanting to um, uh, just hide all this sort of stuff mm. and and these injustices. I mean, you you called out the law enforcement, and certainly from the accounts you wrote, it does sound like they were corrupt. I don't see how you conclude anything no. but that. And during that era, that's sort of common. Yep, uh, we acknowledge that, we accept that, we we don't have a problem. With, uh, with with teaching this, with exposing this. We're not looking to conceal it. But we also have to recognize that doesn't happen anymore. Right. And, I mean, I don't, I'm not aware it, of situations. Well, but I, it, it does happen today. I mean, okay. I would tell you as a okay. federal prosecutor, I, I prosecuted corrupt okay. law enforcement. I prosecuted, you know. But not to the widespread but, extent it was. No, then. no, no, absolutely not. But I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm as pro-law enforcement as they come. I was a federal prosecutor for 15 years. I worked hand in glove with the police of all different shades and, and agencies. But at the end of the day, I mean, 
every agency. I had a buddy of mine in the military who, I, you know, I admire, I honor, I look up to. I, I frankly regret I didn't serve our country in the military. But I had a buddy of mine who was a longtime military service member and, and retired. And he said, look, the military is just like church. It's just like law enforcement. It's just like every piece of society. It's made up of human beings. And we are all sinful, and sure. there are all some who are corrupt. Sure. And it's going to happen in whatever. So we can't put the military or our church or law enforcement on a pedestal that they're perfect because they're not. Yeah, because as, as long as human beings are involved, they're going to be corrupt. But the, the issue is we have to stand up and call out, as you said, acknowledge the failings of human beings when they do fail in these different um, entities or, or organizations and just hold them accountable. And it, by doing that, we do make them better and we make our entire society better. Agree. Uh, and I think maybe I, I misspoke in that. What I see out of the left is is this belief that every single interaction that involves a white police officer and a black perpetrator is unjust, is corrupt. Right. It's, every it's, single one. Is. It's the narrative from the left of the systemic nature right. of it. And right. it's not systemic. It's not systemic. It's, not systemic. it's, it's isolated. Absolutely. They're bad guys. Absolutely. But you don't have a problem prosecuting them and calling no, them out and, absolutely and uh, applying the law. And frankly, if if we did not do that as a society, as a country, if if that if those were not our values and our principles, who would we be? Agreed. We would not be the United States of America. Agreed. That's what we have to do. We have to hold anybody who has violated the law, and I mean anybody, right. held to account. I totally, totally agree. And I think that clear-eyed, rational people on the right Believe that. Absolutely. I think we believe that. And frankly, I'll be honest with you, I think clear eyed rational people on the left. I, I agree. The problem is they don't speak up That's as much right. because their their group will absolutely ostracize them, will hang them out to dry. And that's a problem as well because they want to politicize our institutions right. for personal political gain and which turns me to the Hunter Biden thing. Speaking well, about uh, inequitable application of the law. Well, and and we on, on the in, on the conservative movement, we have to be careful because those who have violated the law, we have to hold them accountable, and we can't look the other way. We can't take up for them. You know what concerns me right now is the demonization of law enforcement coming from the right, and like we've just talked about, there are absolutely bad actors. In law enforcement, because they're human beings. Because they're human beings, <laughs> and a bunch but at the of same them. time, we can't fall fall uh, uh, into this trap. I think the left is setting for us, which is the same thing they did and messed up by saying defund the police. I think they're trying to get us to do the same thing with the FBI and others. Okay, there are there are some in the FBI again because they are made up of human beings who are sinful. There are some in the FBI that did not do absolutely did not do what they should have done, did not follow the protocol, did not do the right thing. But at the same time, to say the entire institution and all of federal law enforcement is somehow um, you know, corrupt, I think is the wrong way to go. They're well, not corrupt. I, I would say that the testimony from the various whistleblowers uh, exemplifies that. Absolutely. I mean, because they're coming, and you know they thought and prayed about that a long time. They have to. You their have lives, to. Their lives Changed. are on the line. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, and so they've come out and uh, shed even more light on this whole ordeal, as recent as yesterday, uh, on the Hill there. So with the investigation. Um, the Hunter Biden thing is interesting, though, yeah. because, you know, on, on the one hand, um, the misdemeanor, I think it's a failure to file, is what he was charged with, the misdemeanor tax yeah. charge. Um, you know, that's 
primarily driven by the tax loss and the sentencing guidelines. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, yeah. but uh, there's usually a guideline range for that type of prison. I, I've prosecuted that type of case multiple times, and, hmm. and a lot of times people do go to prison for those misdemeanors, hmm. even though they can stack. If say you're charged with six misdemeanors, you can only be charged, you can only be sent to prison for under a year. You can actually stack those six misdemeanors and be going to prison for up to six years. And the people that commit those crimes, as you know, having prosecuted, they come from all walks they of do. life. The, yeah. the, pro, the, the real concern I have is with the gun charge, because that is something that I, frankly, have never seen a deferred prosecution agreement with regard to a gun charge. Let's dig into that when we come back. We've got Mike Hurst, former U.S. attorney in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Weight and penny pound. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. We're back with Mike Hurst, former U.S. attorney in the Element Well Studios. Rhino, I'm looking at some breaking news about the submarine that they've located a debris field. Yeah, that was just announced about 20 minutes ago now that a debris debris field has been found on the ocean floor near the wreck of the Titanic. Wow. And uh, if you haven't been keeping up, it it has already passed the timetable for available breathable oxygen for the people on the sub. So they're still not calling it a recovery effort. It's still search and rescue, but uh, it is looking grim. Yeah. Man. Appreciate that. Mm. So, Mike, uh, before we went to break, you, we were talking about this, this Hunter Biden tax case, and and uh, but there's also a, a gun aspect of this as well. Tell us about that. Right. I mean, under under federal law, if you're a uh, a drug user, mm-hmm. not addiction, not rehab, if you're a drug user, you're prohibited from possessing a firearm so in that case as, as i understand it from reading the media is the u.s attorney's office entered into what's called a deferred prosecution agreement which means they will file a charge against you mm-hmm. but if you agree to do certain things over a two three year period under this little contract they have basically just staying out of trouble don't violate the law all these other conditions then after that two or three year period they will dismiss that pending charge against you okay deferred prosecution um the the question there are a lot of questions with this one is i mentioned right before we went off the radio we we prosecuted a number of these types of crimes in the southern district of mississippi especially on our mississippi gulf coast a number of drug users who are found in possession of firearms that's a common charge i've never seen i've seen deferred prosecution agreements primarily in white collar type cases where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, let's say a, a, an employee of a company who could be considered an agent of a company has committed a crime and you could hold the company liable for that crime, but because the company didn't, you know, know about it or didn't condone it or didn't do anything, you entered into a deferred prosecution agreement with that company. Sure. Here it's it's weird because it's a gun case. And again, I, I just have never seen a deferred prosecution on a gun case. As I mentioned to you at the break, the only thing I can think of is there's a, there's some question in the academic community right now as to whether that federal crime that's been on the books probably 30, 40 years, whether it is constitutional. And the reason that has come mm. up is because recently the Fifth Circuit overturned 
a federal law as unconstitutional, which prohibited someone who had been convicted of a domestic violence offense from possessing a firearm. Mm-hmm. That was that was recently overturned, and there's question about now uh, looking, and that was overturned by using the Dobbs analysis. And what that means is, in the Dobbs case, the Supreme Court went back and looked at the history and traditions of our country um, when you know to 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 understand whether abortion should be a constitutional right, and they found it is not based upon the history traditions. Well, now the courts are looking at history and and traditions with regard to other constitutional rights, in this case, the Second Mm. Amendment. And and when that Fifth Circuit case, they overturned that federal law, and I think that's probably a concern here. Probably the U.S. Attorney's Office did not want the Hunter Biden uh, to be the one who is overturning, potentially overturning (laughs) federal law and finding this particular federal crime unconstitutional. Yeah, that that's just so fascinating, but it, it does make sense. It's almost as if the Dobbs case kind of opened up this log jam, and now I guess the uh, the lawyers and the constitutionalists are doing a deep dive into this to really see what uh, what's legal, yeah. what's constitutional. You know, not. after Dobbs, it's a huge question in the legal community as to uh, taking the approach the Supreme Court did with Dobbs. And look, I'm we have been praying for abortion to be overturned. I'm so excited and I so appreciative of the Supreme Court actually following the law in Dobbs as they did not follow it in Roe v. Wade and, yeah. and Casey and those others. But but right now the legal community is, is looking around saying, hey, if you take this approach the Supreme Court did in Dobbs, looking at history and tradition, what other laws, rights, what have you could – potentially be um, under wow. the gun. And, and right now, the Fifth Circuit is is asking for uh, legal scholars, anyone in the legal community, basically to submit briefs uh, with regard to a question as to the Second Amendment and intoxicated or impaired individuals. So yeah. this is going to continue to, to percolate and to boil up as, uh, as courts continue to grapple with it. So we could literally end up with a situation where we get some rulings that say, you can't prohibit anybody from. I mean, very. I guess it would be some limitations, uh, well, but I don't know what those would be. Again, it depends on how which courts are going to really um, use this uh, approach that the Supreme Court um, took with Dobbs and apply it to the to the laws that are in effect right that now. That makes sense. Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, that, and and so uh, we, we're probably going to have just a whole series of cases come out it, yeah, as a result of this. But you know, it's it's fascinating, but it's also encouraging. From a conservative perspective, because if you remember during the Warren Court and during the, the the 60s, there were so many expansions of you know new court-made laws. You know, yeah. uh, court being uh, just uh, going off on a tangent yeah. with no basis in the law, no basis in the Constitution, no basis in fact to invent these new rights. And so, <laughs> to be able to pull that back and to say, "Hey, we as a country, our principles are we are relying on the Constitution." We're relying on our democratic elected officials to pass laws that can, can uh, yeah. that are confined to the Constitution. I think that's a good thing. Well, I, I, think I do that's too, a great because thing. what you're, that period of time you're describing is, is sort of gave rise to the so-called activist courts, mm-hmm. where where judges were kind of ruling and courts were handing down decisions that were more consistent with their philosophy, personal philosophy, That's and their right. opinion, rather than the Constitution. That's right. I mean, it's it's you, you have to you know it's the the eternal debate in the legal world where is it a living Constitution or to, do the words actually yeah. mean what they say? Yeah. That's amazing. Well, we're going to be looking out for that. And then the, we've got this case. You you heard me discussing it uh, before uh, we started our interview, and that's in Arkansas, mm. where they have uh, the court has struck down the transgender uh, care law 
that was passed in, I believe, in January, mm-hmm. in the state of Arkansas, for on minors, uh, making it uh, prohi- prohibiting it, I should say. Now the court says, no, that's unconstitutional. So is this going to become a, a topic of discussion, a matter for the courts, as to whether or not minor transgender surgery is constitutional right? Right. Yeah, it's it's... It's incredible to believe that this Obama-appointed uh, district judge down there, who, ironically, his father was a district judge in Arkansas as well, mm. so a long history of uh, judicial activism in that family. But um, yeah, it's concerning because, you know, the media especially portrays this as, quote, care. Right. A, a total, like abortion. A, yeah. That's, that's a, reproductive a, care. It's it, And I like what Governor uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said when that decision came out. She said, you know, this is th- what this is, is activists pushing a political agenda at the expense of our kids. That's exactly what it is. I mean, I, I think I told you, I, I heard someone say it. One of the best analogies I heard is, you know, my kid is, you know, not my kid, but this person was saying, my kid is six years old. He's infatuated with pirates right now. But I'm not taking him to the doctor to cut off his hand and put a hook on it. Yeah. That's crazy. It's a good I mean, it's good absolutely analogy. crazy. Um, I mean, kids are fascinated with everything but because, because they're kids. But at the same time, we as parents have a, an obligation. We have a duty to raise them the right way. And just because a kid thinks they're a fairy, we're not going to let them jump off the roof. Right. So we have to take care of our kids. We have to affirm them as children. We have to affirm them as their biological sex. And anything outside of that is it's hard to justify, especially from a legal or a medical sense. Well, don't you feel that government, society in general, has a duty to intervene and protect? Absolutely. I mean, we have we as a society have intervened and protect our kids when parents abuse children when any adult abuses children we have laws to that why we cannot our courts cannot uphold similar type laws here where you know parents are doing ungodly things with regard to sex i I just can't even imagine it it's scary and this account i read uh an interview uh, with a physician who basically said that uh, the comeback always is, well, this will prevent suicide. Mm. That, the, that the child is is having these these fuzzy feelings about their their gender, and and they're considering suicide if they're not allowed, or they ultimately will commit suicide if mm. they're not allowed. And what he says is, you know, the reality is here: these individuals, these youngsters. They hate themselves. Mm. They have hatred for themselves. And what they need is psychiatric care to deal with that. Mm. And I think it's no secret that a lot of kids go through situations in their life where they experience those feelings right. of hate for themselves. That There's been rejection, dejection, despair, et cetera. And I, and I think at one point in our lives, all of us have. The problem well, sure. that we have right now, and, and especially you know, as a father of six, the thing that breaks my heart is it, is it is amplified for children now just because we have phones. We have ubiquitous access to, to everything that is going on in the world simultaneously. Yes. And it's just it's amplifying that depression. It's amplifying that concern. It's amplifying that self-hate. And what we need to do as parents, and look, I'm no perfect parent by any means. My kids will tell you that. But what we need <laughs> to do as parents are. is just is lean into that and be more 
of those role models that we're supposed to be. Totally agree. Not allowing the phones or the iPads or the Internet raise our kids. I totally agree. And then the other thing we need, of course, is more parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. First and foremost. Yeah. Mike, always uh, good to talk to you. Thanks. I appreciate you coming in. Always appreciate your analysis. Thank you. Thank you, Gerard. Mike Hurst, former U.S. Attorney, has been our guest in the Element Well Studio. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. David Bowie. Rebel, rebel. So on the ceasefire text line, I think it's Jimmy in Grenada was asking if we covered the story about the alder woman in Winona arrested. You see that? During the city. Yeah, we do have an article, by the way, up on um, our website, Super Talk Mississippi. News Department covered it. Ward 3 Alderwoman Sylvia Clark arrested after she refused to leave following a heated exchange, I'm reading from the article, with Mayor Aaron Dees over remarks Clark made criticizing the city's park employees. Interesting. Accused of mishandling funds. Let's see, did I I read this right? That... uh, Clark did not comply with authorities and allegedly squeezed one of the officer's testicles, resulting in a felony simple assault on a police officer charge. Oh, that's nice. There you go. (laughs) Gosh, dog, man. Crazy stuff. No doubt about it. Moe says calling abortion reproductive health care is like calling decapitation a headache cure. Yeah, there's a million analogies you can make, and this is the fundamental problem with this and so many other issues where there's no alignment. We just see things different, like we're in two countries. I, I agree, Moe. So the left calls abortion reproductive health care, and the same with respect to uh, the various gender surgery, surgical procedures, the uppers, as they call them, and mastectomies and lowers when they go in and make surgical changes to one's genitals. To I believe it's called top and bottom. Top and bottoms, yeah, my bad, my bad. Tops, bottoms. But I have seen the lowers and the uppers in the medical community. I think that's where I got that from. Uh, maybe they're trying to be more formal than the tops and the bottoms. But nonetheless, it's that's not considered 
mutilation, right, of the body, that's considered health care. Even though a phalloplasty involves taking tissue from an arm that will never grow back and will always be scarred for the rest of their life and fashioning a phallus out of that tissue and surgically transplanting it onto the body that doesn't function properly, never will function properly, and will require medical checkups on a regular basis for the rest of their life. Yeah, and it's as the as the speaker, the physician speaker at a group of physicians on the subject at Vanderbilt Medical Center. Remember, we played the video. She said, it's very lucrative. They'll need care the rest of their lives. I mean, was ecstatic about this. Yeah, let's go butcher all these bodies up because they're going to have to come here and pay us money because your body ain't meant to do that. That's why, in a nutshell. There was a an interview, I, I touched on this a bit, with uh, a physician uh, about this subject, about this transgender ideology. The physician... His identity has not been revealed. This is a written account of the interview. Works in a major children's hospital in a blue city. That's how this individual has been described and has witnessed firsthand the transgender ideology at work in the hospital. And he goes on to say that it has absolutely captured the medical profession and in his view, has jeopardized the first commandment of health care, which is do no harm. The average person on the street knows that. So he's speaking out and is doing so anonymously. And this is because he believes the medical community in many areas has been corrupted. He said that many silently oppose these transgender treatments, but they won't speak up about it for fear of retribution, backlash, from their own community, medical community. And that's probably because they fear the mob that will absolutely assault you for your intolerance. You don't want to take a knife to the genitals of a 12-year-old. What's wrong with you? Do a tops and a bottoms surgery. So he says this all started, this is crazy, but makes a lot of sense to me. Crazy in that I just never heard this theory. He says this all started in 2020. He says COVID and the transgender movement are inextricably linked. He says, think about it, doctors to operate by the authority of professional societies that govern the practice. That worked because individuals in those institutions were practical and reliable and applied intelligence and common sense, etc. But he said in, with COVID in 2020, they were getting decrees without peer review, without evidence. Most of that being driven by an overarching government. And he said, this was just expressed as something everybody had to do, whether you believed it or not, without justification, without sound science. And he said, the other thing that surfaced was widespread censorship. 
If you question, you challenge, you just were curious, inquisitive, you could be ostracized, he says, in your own department as a physician. You could be publicly humiliated, reprimanded, even fired. And I do remember that. So he, he basically says this is at the core of this explosion of transgender ideology. But this is what made sense to me, Rhino, more than anything else. And I think you and I have expressed this as well, maybe with different language. You've said often it's about attention, and I, I totally agree. And uh, the so-called dopamine effect of just the attention, I've discussed this concept known as love bombing, where once a student in a school, in certain schools, even thinks about, possibly hints at, I might want to go to, to the other sex, boom, they're bombarded. Teachers, administrators, and others. Other adults that suddenly thrust them to the top of... Uh, of their, of their focus, of their attention. And what he says is, this is really about people who hate themselves. I never really thought about that, but it made total sense. He said that when they, when they uh, in reality, when they start questioning their gender identity, what they're really doing is confirming their, the hatred for themselves. And when you then participate by providing various gender affirmation care, could be surgery, drugs, hormone treatments, puberty blockers, etc., you're essentially affirming this belief system And what you're really telling them, and as I'm quoting here, you hate yourself at this moment, and I will affirm that. That, again, the message from the physician, the health care provider, to the youngster, to the minor. And he says, but then you have to ask yourself, why do these people have such high rates of suicide? Because, he says, we're affirming that they should hate themselves and that they should try to destroy themselves. That made more sense. It's just common sense right there, logic. I totally agree. He said, but sadly, these are medical doctors. They understand basic human biology. Of course they do. They understand the the dictate, do no harm. But yet, they're still participating. It's crazy. He says it's, um, it's what he calls the false ideology of transgenderism. And listen carefully here. This is, this is a little complicated to wrap your head around. But he says, and when people have a false ideology, they need a way to separate themselves from non-believers and to express their faith to other believers. That makes total sense. And he said, the problem here is that when we talk about believers and non-believers, usually we we mean that in the context of Judeo-Christian principles and beliefs, but that's not being considered here, that's not driving this ideology, this belief system. And that's when it gets off the rails and it causes lots of harm. That's exactly what's happening. There's no doubt about that. 
That's just, I think, a, a, a perfect explanation of this craziness. We're coming right back. Don't forget Scott Bounds from the uh, Mississippi House of Representatives at 12.05 after the noon break. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi. Love your show. I hate when I get to listen this time of year, though, because I'm listening. If I'm listening, it means I'm broken down and working on wore out equipment. Man, I hope you get it fixed. Uh, sorry about that. Curtis and McCool says I personally have had several confrontations with the Alder woman in Winona while collecting the municipal garbage. Her idea about life is if you look different than she does, you are wrong, no matter how innocent or correct you may be. She is extremely bigoted and racist. That's interesting. Well, so just uh, if you didn't hear, folks, uh, this is a Winona Alder woman. There's a story up on uh, our website, supertalk.com, and apparently she had a bit of an altercation and uh, got a little fired up, shall we say. Started out with that. Was asked to leave after getting heated and did not leave, so the police were requested to escort her out, and in the scuffle, she allegedly grabbed the officer's testicles and squeezed. That's what's being reported. That is bizarre. By the way, folks, Super Talk Mississippi news team covers uh, these sorts of stories, and you can stay up to date by signing up for our free weekly newsletter at supertalk.fm slash newsletter. Highly recommend you do that, especially with the uh, elections right around the corner. Healthcare starting with scamdemic or showing true colors, now transgender. I have no trust in healthcare now. And, and I don't know that I would go that far, honestly. I, I understand why folks may react that way and, and feel uh, like that uh, they just don't have confidence in the health care system. But I, I've spoken to lots of doctors about this movement and this craziness going on, and they all think it's crazy, too, by the way. And, and I think it's like anything else. This is a handful of nuts that uh, are pushing this stuff, that are involved. And I don't think it makes sense to just pretty much associate the entire community with them and their views and, and their behavior. So I still think the vast majority are, are good people that uh, seek to cure disease and make people well. That's why I disagree with the people that try to use the analogy of this is just like bloodletting or using leeches. And No, that was a widely accepted treatment, although barbaric at the time. It's more akin to a lobotomy, yeah. where a small percentage of doctors, about a century ago now, maybe a little longer than that, sincerely believed that it was helping, 
And the rest of the medical medical community was a little standoffish until it was proven, no, this isn't helping. You're damaging the patient's brain. Yeah. Uh, I still, again, have confidence that, that uh, in general, the medical community is uh, high quality and high integrity. Uh, I do think that some, because they're humans, like Mike Hurst said, same with the law enforcement community. You've got bad actors, as you do in all aspects and all professions. But I think overwhelmingly, they're, they're good, diligent, committed, dedicated people um, that cure disease, make us healthier, better, improve the quality of our lives. Unfortunately, there are a few that stray from that and uh, have taken it upon themselves to engage in this craziness with this transgender ideology. If anything is systemic, says Paul and Meridian, it's the automatic disrespect, resisting arrest, and fighting with a police officer just trying to do his job. Let them put the cuffs on and live to see another day. It does seem like that there are more and more incidents where there's resistance, and that ends up with uh, some bad outcomes. I think that's true, Paul. And, and of course, then that immediately, when that occurs, if depending on the races involved, when that occurs, it's police brutality right off the bat. Just immediately is concluded to be such, which is wrong. Uh, you know, we got these elections coming up. I wanted to get to this today. I think it's uh, important that we discuss, but we got elections coming up, and we've seen f- some reports from candidates on where they stand on the issues, of course, but we've also seen uh, some that have finally started talking about something we've called for here on the program, finally started talking about what their plans are, what their priorities are, should they be elected. And there have been some reports on that from the Chris McDaniel camp. He, of course, a candidate for lieutenant governor. He's challenging the sitting lieutenant governor, the incumbent, Delbert Hoseman. And we've got Scott Bounds coming in next, of course, after the break. we got Fox News, Super Talk News. But after that, we'll dig into that a little bit and share with you what Chris McDaniel says are his priorities, and we'll analyze that as well. But right now, it's time for Fox News, Super Talk News. We're coming back. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Hour 3 of Middays, live from the Element Well Studio on this Friday Eve. Joining us now, Representative Scott Bounds. He represents District 44 in the Mississippi State House, serves as chairman of the House Public Utilities Committee. 
Welcome, Representative Bounds. Thanks for coming in. Yes, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here, Gerard. Thank you for having me. You bet. So we've got the uh, the infamous, it's actually famous, <laughs> honestly, um, the Neshoba County Fair coming up. And it's always special when it's election year. It's always special when it's election year. Let me just uh, <clears throat> get a few housekeeping things out of the way first on the yeah. fair. Five weeks from tomorrow it kicks off. Uh, this year it runs July the 21st through the 28th. Okay. Um, of course, this is an election year, and that's probably one of the, along with Cento and maybe some other places, one of the most revered political stumps in the state. No doubt. And um, so but we've got three days scheduled for political speaking, which would be on Tuesday, July the 25th, which will be local candidates only, candidates that are running for office there in the Shelby County. Okay. And then on Wednesday, the 26th, Thursday, the 27th, is we will have a mix of statewide and district candidates speaking on those days. Now, I will say, it's funny you go back and look, and we go back, Gerard, and look. <clears throat> We're in the middle of a uh, – there are no open seats this year, okay, in the statewide cycle, okay? And, you know, right, you, right. No open seats, so – you don't have the uh, plethora of candidates yeah, running. Huge fields. You typically huge have fields an open seat. In, yeah. in an open seat. So uh, this year, with the with the invites that we have sent out and the responses that we've got, we'll be able to get our speaking in on Wednesday mornings before okay. lunch. Okay. Starting early and um, and then on Thursday morning before lunch. Okay. But in but in 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 years when you've got open seats, you're going to run into the afternoon yeah. every year. It's just yeah. no way you can get around it. You have so many people running. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But th- this year, uh, all the statewide offices have an incumbent yeah. who's running for re-election. Right. So right. it's them versus uh, those uh, the, few people, those, those honestly, few that, that are challenging. That have qualified to run. Yeah. That's right. So we're going to be able to get our speaking program in on, on, on Wednesday morning, the 26th, and Thursday morning, the 27th. Okay. And, uh, of course, that gives everybody the, you know, the opportunity to go to the horse races that afternoon or yeah. whatever they want to do at the Neshoba County Fair. And, of course, enjoy the wonderful food at many of the yeah. cabins and the folks who occupy those and all yeah. those yeah. are all, always very gracious, very hospitable. Yeah, we've got, um, you know, as far as political speaking, all the incumbents have committed to attending okay. uh, or speaking. And uh, uh, just a little tidbit out, uh, we don't have the exact times down yet, but sometime between nine and eleven o'clock uh, on both days eight thirty to eleven o'clock uh, I know that uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman will be speaking on Wednesday Governor Reeves will be speaking on Thursday okay. uh, House Speaker Philip Gunn will be doing his last appearance as House Speaker yeah. on Thursday yeah. uh, at the fair so yeah. we, we, it's going to be a we, we've got the lineup very uh, we've got a good mix of it how how much time are they allotted to speak? Scott? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Okay. Ten minutes. And I and I, and I will tell you, I have spoken there as a candidate and a, an elected official for twenty years, and that is probably the hardest speech to do in the world. Not because it's my home people, but because it's hard to get in ten minutes on what you want to say. Yeah. And sure. uh, you know how we are. We yeah. want to talk. Yeah. We want to talk. <laughs> and uh, but it's it's a very yeah. hard speech to do, but. Um, we 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 could tie up eight hours a day speaking. Oh, there's no doubt. If we wanted to, no doubt. Know? And I don't know if that's what the people want. You know, so we limit it to ten minutes. So it it, it truly is considered the the premier event for political junkies. If you if you're uh, interested in that sort of stuff, and there where they speak there, uh, in the middle, 
uh, under the big tent. Right, right. Uh, what's that called? Pavilion. The pavilion. Founder yeah. Square. Yeah, yeah, Founder Square. So tons of people. Yeah. Uh, sitting and standing all uh-huh. around that area. Absolutely. Usually we have a Super Talk tent, as you know, set yeah. off just to the side. Right. And typically they come on the program right after they deliver mm-hmm. their speeches. We, we catch them and, and talk right. to them and do right. a kind of a rundown. Right. right. Uh, but this this can be a big year. It is. And like you said, if, you, if you're a political junkie, it's an almost you got to attend type thing. Not to mention all the other fun stuff you can do. Well, all the other fun stuff you can do, too. This is the 134th year of the fair. Yeah, Uh, that's amazing. Started in 1889. We're the last remaining campground fair in America. Wow. Uh, 500 and, I think, 89 individually owned cabins, and then we got 575-plus RV spots. So Really cool. We, uh, it's a, it's a, I serve as president of the fair, and we have a board. We're an all-volunteer board. But anyway, uh, we, we have an outstanding uh, team that uh, you know does our office and business operations, our grounds maintenance, our utility infrastructure. We, yep. we, it's it's a it's a big operation. It's a really big operation. Does the board decide who speaks? I know you've got some sort of guidelines around we, that, right? We do. We 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 have a policy in place. The board doesn't necessarily decide it. We have a. I'm gonna call it a political speaking subcommittee under the program subcommittee, okay. uh, program committee, and uh, uh, they do. We we take uh, obviously every uh, every candidate or elected official that's running for statewide office. We invite them. And then we look at our district candidates, our public service commissioner, highway commissioners, our uh, legislators. Um, our policy says that your district has to encompass uh, all or part of Neshoba County to be extending an invitation to speak. And I will tell you, we do that, Gerard, because, I mean, we, we, we are barraged by candidates from outside the district or not running for statewide sure. office that are wanting to speak. And while we would love to accommodate them, it just does not fit into the schedule, you um, know. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that on the grounds, the fairgrounds, at any time, there's people from all 82 counties, and you may want to hear from your tax assessor that's running in Jones County, but, uh, you know, we just we just can't make all that work, you know, in, in the hours that yeah. we have. Yeah, in the time well, that, that we makes do. sense. That makes you know? sense. So we... Um, um, we have a policy, and we follow it, and we are consistent with it and have been consistent with it for many years on who we invite and yeah. all of that. and so, that, that makes total sense. So, um, But, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big year. Um, here again, Starks, uh, five weeks from tomorrow. Okay. Um, we, uh, we're beginning to foster some local partnerships with different entities. I know that the Marty Stewart Congress of Country Music is uh, being a – they're being part of the sponsorship for our late night bands this year. We have we we will have a band somewhere on the grounds, everywhere but Sunday night on the grounds, and so we've got some. We're, we're developing some unique sponsorships, partnerships with some not only local people but people across the state that see the value of the fair, see the value of getting their name out there. You know, yeah. uh, uh, patrons of the fair, and uh, so it's a. Um, it's it's not the fair that it was forty years ago, and and it's it's changing. You know, we're we're really trying to to uh, uh, take advantage of the opportunities that we have before us to make it even better. Always enjoyable. You have any uh, particular thoughts that you care to share about the upcoming elections? Uh, not really. I mean, I uh, you know when you when you look down through the uh, statewide. 
uh, races. There appears to be there's going to be some interesting races. Um, I'm I'm focused on House District 44 right now. I you told me you have an opponent. I have an opponent in November, and I'm focused on that. And um, focused on that. And uh, but I think the after we have the primaries, and obviously we'll after the primaries in August, we'll have a, a lot clearer indication <laughs> as to as to where we're going. You yeah. know, and uh, but. Uh, not really, you know. I, here again, I'm focused on my race and uh, trying to come back and um, to the house and represent the people in House District 44, which encompasses a big part of Neshoba County and some of Leak County. And yep. um, the voters have been very good to me there, and I hope I've earned the right to come back. I think we've done been able to accomplish a lot of good things in the 20 years that I've been there and then 12 years under leadership of Speaker Gunn, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, I'm excited about things going into the future. I well, I think we left some things on the table this year that the, that the citizens of Mississippi want, and I think we'll move forward in trying to, trying to bring those things back up, some yeah. of those things, and act on them. Well, uh, we're we're about at a break, but do you want to talk about that after the break? Do you want we to come can. back? Yeah, sure. some of these because it, it comes up a lot, certainly, sure. in our discussions here on the show, and we get uh, questions from the text line as well about uh, some of the more high profile issues sure. and that uh, folks would like to see get addressed. I think that's sure. kind of the the uh, primary sentiment we get from the. From the people out there. That's who you guys represent. But we got Representative Scott Bounds in the Element Well Studios, and we're coming right back after the break here. Stay with us. stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. Element Well Studios. Our guest is Representative Scott Bounds. He represents District 44, and that includes Neshoba and parts of Leak County as well. Serves as the chairman of the House Public Utility Committees, and you're also the head man over there at the Neshoba <laughs> County Fair, I guess, huh? Man, I bring home all the big bucks, you know. That takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work. It's, it's fun, though. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's a uh, uh, it's good uh, 
volunteer community yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Sure. And yeah, I'm I'm I've been <laughs> I've been on the Shelby County Fair Board for 28 years. So uh, I was elected president That's two awesome. years ago. So just like herding cats, but I've got a good. <laughs> it's, it's a fun job, and, and it's one I enjoy. And full disclosure, by the way, you know this, but our audience doesn't. I'm close friends with your brother. I've known your brother for a long time. He and I are of the same uh, college fraternity. Yeah. We work together some in that regard. And uh, so I, I've known and respect him, Mark, your brother. Yeah, sure. He's a good guy. You know, his his dream is to be an ambassador some way. I somewhere. know. He tells <laughs> he, Yeah, we've talked about that, and I, I think he'd be a great one. He would be. He <laughs> I absolutely would be. I think he'd be a great one. I, I, I don't know the <laughs> the process to get to that, but it's, it's above what I can yeah, do. Yeah, he needs somebody that's more connected and powerful <laughs> right. than you and me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, All right, so we were, we were, before we went to break, uh, I asked you to stay to maybe talk about uh, some of the uh, first the accomplishments in the last uh, session and uh, the last term. Sure, uh, some things we could certainly point to, uh, but there's some stuff that uh, a lot of people would say, well, that's unfinished. And one of those is the the citizen ballot initiative. Yes, that uh, we had House versions of that bill. We couldn't get any traction two years in a row, two sessions in a row. Just right. couldn't get it through the Senate. Seems like the main objection in, in, in discussing this with the lieutenant governor, and I think there are senators that feel this way as well, is that the, the sticking point is the number of signatures required right. to, uh, to certify yeah. a, a measure. The Senate wants a much uh, higher number yeah. of signatures than yeah. the House. The higher. House wants to keep the same formula in place. Yeah, yeah. Higher, higher threshold. Yeah. Uh, the, the, House, uh, the House's position has been to, been to keep it somewhere around where it is, yeah. and the Senate position, for whatever reason, has been a higher threshold. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you, Gerard, that uh, it, we do need a threshold on it. Okay. Um, I think we need a threshold on it. I think we need to have a minimum threshold. Is it that? Is it that twenty thousand that's in a congressional district or not? I, I don't know. I would like for it to land myself personally somewhere between where the House position was and the Senate position was. Maybe a compromise. To a compromise. You know, we don't want to have to turn around and look. The citizens should, you know, they they elect us to be their voice in government. Okay, and, and whether it's in the state capitol, where it's in Congress or whatever, they elect us. But you know, when they don't think we're doing our job, they should have a they should have an alternative to, to creating things. But it, it, you got to be sure it's not a slippery slope that you go down. That it's because if you ever get something ingrained in the Constitution, especially if it's a constitutional initiative, if you ever get something ingrained in the Constitution and it turns out that it's it's got severe problems, it's hard to change it. Yeah, it's it's really hard to change it. So you know, on that I, I you know I supported the House position, but uh, I you know I, I would not be um, adverse to having a somewhat higher threshold of compromise, but, you know, just personally, I thought the Senate position was a little high. Yeah. But, uh, and I think that's where the that's where the we were never able to reach an agreement. I'd like to see us do that. Okay. I'd like to see us do that. But okay. I, I want to talk about the income tax okay. a minute. Yeah. So, I was going there next anyhow, yeah, so please. So I want to talk about that a minute. So yeah. we... Um, um, the legislature, uh, you know, we had an income tax elimination in 2022, and uh, the House wanted to do a full elimination this year. We were not able to ever bring get that to the floor, okay? But I would I would like to see us have a full elimination of the income tax. Okay. I mean, when you can put money back in the citizens' pockets, and I'm talking about 
tangible money, money that they can spend and money that's going to turn over in the economy. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. But when you look overall at the states that do not have an income tax and the successes they have in recruiting industry and recruiting people, we talk about brain drain and things like that. Uh, if people are not having to give their money to government, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to taxation. I know that you know government has core functions, okay, and it takes tax dollars to work that. But on the other hand, also, uh, if you can make an environment in your state, if we can make an environment in Mississippi that is favorable to people coming here or in or industries investing and creating jobs and and people coming here and living and spending money and all, I think one of the I think one of the most important things we do is, is to eliminate the income tax. I really do. Okay. I, I really do. And, I, and I'd like to see us do that. And will that be a part of uh, a new administration in the House? I, I think. I, I feel confident that at some point in the next four years it will probably be addressed. And, um, um, you know, we've got – we're going to have a new speaker. Speaker Gunn is not coming back. Right. Uh, speaker Gunn championed and advocated our, for the uh, tax elimination that we got in 2022. Mm-hmm. And he tried to get it this year. Just we couldn't get it. Yeah. Couldn't get it through. You yeah. Know? Couldn't even get it started in the House. And, right. Uh, but but – um, but anyway, I think it's a very important thing that we do, and because the states that do it, it's proven that it that it works. And look, I will tell you, the income tax elimination that we did in 2016, everybody gnashed their teeth and wailed and moaned, and oh, we're not going to have this, we're not going to have that. Look at the growth that we've had since 2016, mm-hmm. and that tax that elimination is close to being fully phased in. Yeah, f- phase in, uh, phase out of phase the three percent yeah. bracket over five years. That's right. You know, yeah. so I, it's. And look, we have been blessed the last two years as far as revenues in the state. Uh, I serve on the Joint Legislative Budget Committee, so we get to really see the figures that come in and, and, and work with the budget staff and things like that. And we've been blessed. Now, is that because of, you know, we are, is good, price of goods are higher? Is that why we're receiving more tax money? Yeah, it could be. But if you look at the tax categories throughout yeah. uh, our revenues, we, we, we're Mississippi's in a – good spot right now i did review that uh, the lbo as you know publishes yeah. that information and so the most recent report shows that we're 653 million mm-hmm. with one month remaining in the right. fiscal year above the signing die revenue estimate for um, fiscal year 2023 right. which that's ends right. here at the end of this month that's so. exactly right so we've been blessed <clears throat> yeah. and and but but i will tell you we have also been um we've also been diligent in not spending more money than we have and not spending money on reoccurring expenditures. That's right. And keeping our saving accounts full. Because, it's, it, Gerard, you know it as well as I do or better. The economy is cyclical. It's going to go no up doubt. and down. No it, doubt. It's going to go up and down. And uh, so we, we're going to have to have some money for those rainy days. All those it, funds are flush with money. The capital expense fund, the rainy day the rainy fund, day et cetera, fund. They're, all, they're all maxed out. They're all maxed out. And Which is good. It, it's, it's good. good business. And, and, and look, because of that, the legislature's been able to to give back to communities all across the state through members on and I don't want to call it port projects. These are these are legitimate projects that the state has, you know, was requested by a member to have some interest in to help back home. Yeah. And and it's not it's it's not poor because if you look down through it, it's either it's in regard to infrastructure as far as transportation infrastructure, personal safety, you know, things like that, things that are the core function of government. Yeah. 
Well, let's hope we get uh, some more effort uh, in the legislature to push this tax elimination through. So something that comes up a lot related to that, uh, Scott, is the uh, elimination of the income tax or elimination of the sales tax on groceries. And Representative Becky Curry in the studio here during the session, I asked her the question, if a bill were drafted to eliminate the sales tax on groceries, do you think that would pass? Her response was, this afternoon that would pass. I think so. I think she's. I think that's a correct assessment. I, I, I saw where Alabama passed one. Sure did. It's a, not a full elimination. Not full. They reduced it, and it had some triggers in it yeah. that if they did not reach certain, I don't know the specifics, but I just saw the the, the triggers in. If it didn't reach it, revenue, didn't reach certain level, yeah. it would not continue right. phase to, it out. Phase yeah. it out. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably the more the approach we need to take. Okay. I, I do. Um, full elimination. Uh, I don't. I'd have to look at the tax category just to see. And I, and I talk about the income tax, and I know that elimination of the grocery tax could probably help our people more than anything. Yeah. But we got to be we got to be careful because you know you don't want to you don't you, you don't want to just totally develop develop your 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 revenue stream. Yeah. Exactly. And and and, and um, you eliminate the income tax. Those people are going to take that money and spend it elsewhere. That's right. You know, which generates more tax, but it's not a dollar for dollar offset. It it could be, but I I think in answer to your question, I think if we had a grocery tax reduction or elimination plan in front of the legislature, I think it would pass. That's just my that's my thoughts. Well it's gonna be an interesting session, but it's gonna be an interesting the Shelby County Fair. Give us those dates real quick again. July the twenty first through July the twenty eighth. Look forward to seeing you and everybody else over there. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you for coming on. Representative Scott Bounds has been our guest. We're gonna see him at the Neshoba County Fair, but we're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. So, Rhino, uh, give us an update. You were just telling me about the uh, the wreckage, the debris field, I should say. Yeah, a diver and friend of those that were on the, uh, the submarine has told the BBC that the debris field that was found near the wreckage of the Titanic is looking more and more like it is debris from the sub, which would mean the sub suffered an implosion Due to the extreme pressures at that depth, I mean, you're talking about 400 times the normal atmospheric pressure, something like 6,000 pounds per square inch. Yeah, and I believe it's constructed out of carbon fiber, right, for strength and weight. Uh, Maybe the material that is commercially available today that does provide the best combination of of, uh, uh, weight, lightweight property and strength correct strong as steel essentially but stronger in some cases okay depending on how you construct it um but extremely light for obvious reasons and if it imploded that structure uh wow that's what a terrible way to go man of course they may we don't know they may have perished before they ever got to that point we just don't know and i don't know that we would know well the 
silver lining on a very dark cloud for the friends and families of those involved is that if it were an implosion at depth, then it was nearly instantaneous uh, in mm. contrast to what many people believed would have been days slowly suffocating without rescue. Hmm. Really sad. Really sad. Well, um, back to it here. We uh, we talked earlier about the situation in Winona here at home in Mississippi, and it was an alder woman who, I guess, got a little rowdy there in the meeting. You said was asked uh, asked police. I guess that would have been members of the board, perhaps the chair, president, whatever the title is, asked police to escort her out for acting unruly in the meeting, being disruptive. And in doing so, she squeezed the testicles, allegedly, of the police officer. Wow. Crazy stuff. you got to believe that will make the national news at this point. It's pretty bizarre. Carolyn Starkville says, WCBI Channel 4 Columbus interviewed Winona Mayer. He said things have been building up with the lady for a couple of years. Not surprised. Rick and Edith said, LMBO, <laughs> you guys deserve hazard pay for covering this insanity. Keep it real. I think he's talking about all the, all the transgender ideology that's going on in this country. I did... Well, he, he chimed in before that with... Uh... A joke from Idiocracy, which oh. is a Mike Judge movie about the future where society just gets dumber and dumber and dumber. <sighs> sure seems like it. That's no doubt about that. I did catch, speaking of this gender stuff, that teachers in the Midwest, several Midwestern states, actually conducted a Zoom call, a web call, where... They are sharing ideas, essentially engaging in a conspiracy, sharing ideas and tips on, quote, subversively and quietly transitioning kids without telling their parents and skirting around these laws that have been enacted that prohibit transgender care, gender, I should say gender care, gender affirming care, as they call it, it's really mutilation of children's bodies, um, is what it is. But they're trying to subvert and circumvent those laws. And they literally had a workshop that I think had some other purpose, but it was a workshop funded by the federal government. And they all got together uh, on a call. It's a four-hour workshop, and it's and they all got together on a call to talk about how to help these trans kids obtain uh, the necessary surgery and treatment to transition their gender to the one other than that which they were born with and which they truly are from a biological perspective. And this leaked somehow. And so we're seeing a growing conflict, rift, between teachers and parents. 
<laughs> now the left and thinks the president of the United States is championing the teachers, saying they're not your kids; they're everybody's kids. I was, I was just about to say that. And you've seen other members of the Democrat Party, high-ranking high members such as Kamala Harris and others, say that exact thing. They're children of the community. No, they're not. But would these same people be totally fine with educators meeting in secret to come up with plans to espouse a religion secretly to the children? Of course not. Unbelievable. We're working with our record-keeping system so that certain screens can't be seen by the parents. There's a nickname in where we're trying to hide. Scrap like that. And their pronouns and junk like that. So they're basically trying to to hide all of this, keep it all a secret, from the parents serving in that role. you got to ask yourself, how twisted is an ideology when you are trying to hide sexual conversations with children? That's despicable. It's reprehensible. I mean, I don't know what other words to apply to such. But this is nuts, and this should horrify parents. They are horrified. And they want to know about this sort of stuff. And, of course, their, their position is, no, we don't have to tell you. We don't have to tell you this kind of stuff we got going on in school. It's really terrible. Man, oh, man. Thanks, Gerard, for calling it what it is, mutilation. It, it is. I mean, you can't, you can't describe it as anything else. You, your body was not intended to be roughed up like that, chopped up, cut up disfigured is really what it is. No, it wasn't intended to do that. Again, you're an adult and you want to do that? Knock yourself out. Don't care. Allowing children to do that? And parents and adults, to some extent, encouraging it, celebrating it, lauding it, holding it up as a badge of honor? That's sick. That's what that is. Unbelievable. Larry and Mize wanted to know what I think about my boy. <laughs> my boy? Michael Guest voting present to censure Adam Schiff. Yeah, Larry, we, we discussed that uh, at the top of the program. I think it's completely appropriate. And uh, we read the statement officially issued by the congressman uh, regarding his vote. And I'll just read the final statement again. I think this is uh, big news. As the chairman of the committee to which the matter would be referred, I voted present to avoid any appearance that I may have prejudged the matter or otherwise could not conduct the investigation called for in the resolution. And so he and five other, maybe it's four other Republicans, a total of five on the committee that he chairs, the House Ethics Committee, voted present. The resolution still passed by, what, five or six vote margin, I believe. They voted present. I think that's appropriate, uh, given that they now will be charged with conducting the investigation. So to have voted either in favor of or against the opposite, uh, the resolution, pardon me, would, I think, have signaled that uh, they're already prejudiced before they ever conduct an investigation. I don't think that would be appropriate. I think that's consistent with the way um, our laws work, the rule of law, and Right to this is a, isn't a trial, but I think the same standard applies here. The right to an investigation. I think there's plenty of evidence, honestly, here that will result in 
an investigation finding that Congressman Schiff acted inappropriately and deceived the American people. And the other couple of charges that I don't remember the formal names of those descriptions of those charges, but I want to say deceiving the American people about an election, a candidate, something to that effect is one of them. You may find that. No, it's not gutless, Larry. It's it's fair. It's appropriate. It's proper. And, you know, if, if the shoe had been on the other foot, just reverse it totally. Let's just say it's a Democrat control ethics committee and it's a Republican that's being censured. We'd be mad. We'd be upset. I would if members of that committee weighed in and voted a certain way before they ever conducted an investigation. That, that would be prejudice. That's, that's not consistent with the rule of law in our country. So again, let the process work. We have to trust the process. We have to allow the process to work. This is unusual in that you got a person who's... This would be like, for example, right now, a, a member of the jury also being the judge. We don't want that. Our system doesn't work that way. Thank God, intentionally. When we come back, I am going to do a quick rundown of uh, Chris McDaniel's plans should he be elected to lieutenant governor. Thank you. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We are back in the Element Well Studios. How can the government say there is a wage disparage between men and women but cannot define what a woman is if a white male self-identifies? This is on the ceasefire tax line. As a black woman, are they eligible for affirmative action? If the government requires corporate boards to diversify is it a diverse board if it's five white males but two self-identify of a black woman? Uh, Larry Amai says, uh, do you think the Democrats would vote like that if the tables were turned? And I just simply said, I don't want to see Republicans following Democrats and holding that up as the standard. I don't. I mean, that's like uh, like you're taught as a child, right? If uh, if Sally down the street jumps off the cliff, you're going to join them to be like the other kids? I don't want that. So he says he's tired of being represented by gutless people, fight fire with fire. Uh, again, I'll just say I think. Is Thomas Massey gutless? Yeah, because he voted the same way. He voted against the previous attempt That's to right. censure because it included a $16 million fine. He sure did. He opposes that. and he believed was not constitutional and sure not the proper process. And he's held up as um, kind of a star by libertarians, honestly. He's considered one of the most liberty-minding members of Congress. Comes from the same state as, as Rand Paul, and my guess is he... He probably aggravated a lot of his constituents with that position. But 
he believed that that's consistent with the Constitution and with law. And I believe that the congressman here, Congressman Guest, believes the same thing. I trust the investigation process. I do trust him and the Republicans on that committee. I just do. Now, you may think I'm crazy because you may say, well, you're trusting government, and Larry said that. Well, I wouldn't say that's just a, a statement to, to just um, uh, broad, that shows I broadly trust government. No, I think, like Ronald Reagan says, you've got to trust but verify. But I trust the process with the people that I know who are going to be overseeing it. I do. Call me crazy, I guess, Larry, but I do. I trust, I trust him in that respect, and I think we'll, well get the, the right outcome. Do yeah. you drag Adam Schiff out in the street and execute him publicly for lying to the public? I mean, is that is that the answer you want? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't agree with that. trusting the process? And, and let's be honest, it his vote wouldn't have made a difference. I mean, we, we got the censure, and we, we have approval resolution to conduct the investigation. That's the most important thing. That happened. Let the process work. I'm going to trust him. And I can assure you that I will be in touch with the congressman when the investigation begins. And he will he'll communicate with me. I know for a fact he will. And But again, gosh, we've got to get back to regular order. And I, and I, I get it. I know everybody's frustrated. I, Larry, I'm with you, man. It's crazy stuff's happened. What Schiff did is reprehensible. No doubt. He was, he's one of the most despicable... Members of Congress. What's that other crazy guy down in Southern California? His name escapes me. He wears glasses, kind of bald head. He drives me nuts, too. I can't remember that guy's name. There's another one, Giamaldi or something. You know what I'm talking about? He's crazy, too. I don't know what it is about those guys. I wish I could remember that guy's name. I'll look him up in a minute and share it with you tomorrow. I told you guys I was going to talk about Chris McDaniel's um, announced priorities and plans as a member, uh, pardon me, as uh, a lieutenant governor, should he be elected. And, and I'll first just say, I, I'm glad to see, I, I um, applaud him for um, talking about plans as opposed to the past. And um, I'd like to see Lieutenant Governor Hoseman talk about your plans, your priorities, as opposed to uh, what you have touted as your achievements in, in the past. Let's talk about the future. And so, top of the list for Senator McDaniel is education reform, and that includes school choice, universal school choice. He says, um, I, uh, I vow to end the, quote, one-size-fits-all approach to learning, support student-tailored education through school choice, and protect children in the classroom by ending woke indoctrination. Now, the last part of that. I've asked here on the show, still wait for somebody to show me, give me some evidence, some proof of examples where we've got some of this crazy wokeness going on in classrooms in Mississippi. I'm not saying it's not. I just would like to see some evidence of that. So I kind of think that's sort of a solution, maybe looking for a problem. We, we already have some law in place with respect to that. Uh, biological males participating in female sports, as an example, teaching that one race is superior to another and anything connected to that. As an example, we have laws on the books for that. But school choice is something I do think distinguishes the two two candidates. We'll dig into that some more. Also, he talks about fiscal conservatism, and that mainly involves his support for ending the income tax. also says he wants to end the grocery tax. I can't make that math work. I'd be 
curious and anxious to see a proposal that shows how it can work. We're out of time today. We'll continue this tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.